Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. So uh, today we are in Romans 13, and there's a kind of a popular passage in there uh, talking about uh, government. And as I was reviewing um, my sermon, I realized that I really didn't kind of clarify kind of my uh, understanding or, or kind of current view of government until the very end. So I'm actually going to just share it to you right away here at the beginning, and uh, and we'll and kind of uh, you'll see kind of sort of unpack that the rest of this morning. And like many things, I would just preface this by saying, like, this is where I'm at today. And as I learn more about God's Word and Scripture and who God is and the times around us, uh, it may be different tomorrow or next week. But for today, this is what you get. So uh, when it comes to, to government, uh, here is, here's how I currently view it. Government is an institution created by God whose purpose it is to recognize and honor the God-given rights and freedoms uh, that God gives people, that it is responsible to create a safe, peaceful, uh, orderly environment so that, and this is the important part, so that the family and the church can fulfill their mission of expanding the kingdom of God. That would be, that's kind of where I'm, I'm at today on, on what is the, the role of government. Uh, it's been kind of interesting. We, we've had an example play out uh, in front of us. Uh, some of you may have been uh, watching this on just government and, and kind of the complex, our complex relationship with government. Uh, so in Edmonton, Alberta, this is where I did my trek service, worked with a, a, a church there, but there is a, a church there. And, uh, one, and a pastor there has been on, on even our news. And what happened was, is that because of COVID, the government was wanting the church to limit their gatherings to 15% of their capacity. And um, the elders and the pastor felt that they could not do so for a couple reasons. They felt that, one, it was unfair because some of the, the larger, you know, kind of box stores, large stores were still seeing high volumes, you know, they got thousands of people coming in a day, so it was unfair. And they just felt that their, you know, his calling and, and that their calling and, and in that role of shepherd, um, they simply could not shepherd with those restrictions in place. And so they continued to meet, and, I, you know, I, there was some kind of sort of, you know, escalation, uh, you know, just in like, well, here's your warning, well, here's your second warning, and that kind of thing. And then, so he then was arrested. And uh, they, they brought him in, and it, it, um, it kind of sounded like, like the police didn't really want to do this, but, I mean, they, this was what they, they were told that they had to do by their supervisors. And, and then, of course, they, you know, they said, well, look, if you just sign this piece of paper saying that you will limit your meetings to 15%, then you can go free. And again, he said, no, I, I can't do that, and I won't do that. So he was arrested. He's been in, in prison now for a while. He's in quarantine or isolation, and I was a little bit unclear if it's, you know, he's just such a horrible person that they've put him in isolation, or if it's like the two-week COVID thing, um, which actually may be, may be part of it as well, too. Um, and he gets two 15-minute breaks a day. And um, so, and it was in, there's um, a gal by the name of uh, Allie Beth Stuckey, and she interviewed his wife, and so that's where I'm, I'm getting a lot of this. 
from his wife, and so it was kind of interesting. And, you know, the church said, look, like we, like we set up spaces with plexiglass, and we told people to wear masks, and if you have COVID symptoms, you should stay home, and, and that kind of thing. But it, it's really kind of brought to the forefront of, is, is this persecution, right, is what this pastor is experiencing? Um, do, you, do you call that persecution or not? And for their failure to, to sort of close their doors during COVID, right? And um, they, his wife had a couple uh, thoughts that, that I found kind of interesting. Uh, her comment was that, you know, he, he's not in jail because he didn't obey res- the restrictions. He's in jail because he did obey Jesus, which is kind of a, an interesting uh, view on it. She referenced 2 Timothy, uh, talking about the followers of Jesus being persecuted. Um, and also, you know, the comparison between, like, well, churches and restaurants and stores and that kind of thing. And, and I, I, she had this great phrase, and she just said, look, Satan doesn't care if a restaurant stays open. You know, like, like Satan does not care if the restaurant stays open. But Satan would love to find any way to shut down churches and Christians. And so it, it, it is kind of an interesting. And on one hand, you have scripture like Acts 5.27. Uh, so this is the apostles. When, when they had brought them, they were set before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to preach in this name, and yet uh, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us, and so that the, the blood of Jesus, and blaming them. And, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We got that on one side. Then on the other side, you have Romans 13, which is our passage today. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So how do you kind of unpack that? How do you how do you navigate your way in that and 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 kind of work through that? What's the right thing to do? I mean, is is you know, do you submit to the government health mandates or do the mandates force you to contradict the, the word of God and they should be ignored? Like how do you how do you navigate that? Um, so like I said, we're in Romans 13 and uh, working through this. And, you know, I think a lot of churches would, would actually just kind of blitz through this uh, pretty quickly. But, you know, within the Mennonite brethren, which, which is a denomination, um, and with those who are cultural Mennonites or, or the people group Mennonites, um, like this is really close to home for us, right? So this is something that requires just kind of some, some thoughtful working through and, and and question and, and dialogue. The, and again, just kind of to, um, just kind of as a reminder, because I'm going to be talking about this in just a minute. Because, uh, you know, what's a Mennonite? Okay, well, what do you mean by Mennonite? <laughs> Mennonite is a people group. And I'm going to unpack that in, in just a minute, right? And so it's like, you know, the Swiss or the Japanese or, you know, that kind of thing. So you have Mennonite as a people group. You also have Mennonite Brethren as a denomination, which is what we are. We are a Mennonite Brethren Church. But then you also have Mennonite, which is also a denomination, and that's one of the other churches across town, right? So probably it's really complex for them trying to talk about what's a Mennonite, because you've got one word and, and two things. And so throughout this, though, I will reference at times Mennonite Brethren as a denomination. So that is like who we are and what we believe in our, in our theological stance. And then um, also Mennonite, the, the people group. And what happened early on is that the Mennonite denomination, 
was, and really, in many ways, probably the Mennonite Brethren denomination, was mainly composed of the Mennonites people group. But as time has progressed and as missionaries have gone out, uh, we actually have lots of other groups of people who are part of the Mennonite Brethren denomination, so much so that if you look on the global scale, the Mennonite people group is actually one of the smaller people groups within the Mennonite Brethren denomination. Uh, the largest denominations, I think it's um, uh, Congo, I think. It's either India or Congo is, is the largest. And then we're, typically, we're actually, I think, like fourth. I mean, really to kind of be like the Canadian conference and, and then the U.S. conference. And so, um, so when it comes to, to people group, um, the, you know, it's the Congolese and, and the Indians that are, are really kind of uh, have the, the, um, the, largest, the largest groups. Um, in, the, in the theological, in, in the cultural history of Mennonite brethren and also Mennonites, there has been uh, a strong sense and a strong belief or, or presence kind of throughout the history of um, pacifism or of peacemaking or of non-resistance, kind of whatever term you, you want to use, meaning that just culturally, historically, theologically, like we've given some deep thought to issues around government and, and how you interact with government or, or mis, uh, military, um, develop some strong opinions on that. And so, like, this is not a flippant topic for us, right? Like, we don't get to just kind of blitz through it. Like, there, there's history on this. Um, and so, and, and that said, there's always a lot to learn. And it's been interesting. I did not grow up Mennonite people group, and I did not grow up Mennonite brethren denomination. Um, I grew up as, like, German, Russian, Scottish, Irish, Methodist. So, how I got here, like, wow, you know? Um, but, so, it's been kind of interesting to, to kind of get grafted in and, and just kind of my experience in, in seeing all of this. So, I have a theory on kind of the... Um, I don't know, kind of our, the, the, kind of the, the relationship that Mennonites have around a government. And I think it, a lot of it is related to the history or the origins of Mennonite. And so these are Luke's super fast cliff notes on Mennonite history and Mennonite brethren history. And feel free to correct me afterwards. Um, Mennonite people group. Okay, Reformation. Uh, Martin Luther posts his 95 Theses on the Wittenberg door, 1517. Lots of good reform comes to the church. Church needed an overhaul pretty bad. Uh, but some people said, and this is my paraphrase, uh, thank you, Martin, that was very lovely, uh, but we think you've not gone quite far enough in a, in a couple of issues. We believe that there is even more reform that needs to happen. So they encouraged even more reform. One of the kind of lightning rods or hot topics was around baptism. They believed in believer's baptism, meaning that it's not baptism and then believe in Jesus Christ and then live, but rather it's, you know, believe in Jesus Christ and then get baptized and then live your life. But um, kind of the, the church and the culture, there was lots of infant baptism, and so they felt that you had to get re-baptized as a believer because baptism should follow a, you know, a, a profession of faith. Well, the technical word for that is Anabaptist or rebaptizers, and so they were rebaptizing or, or getting baptized again. They gathered a following, um, but this new, well, new, new for them, um, theology is not received well, and so 
this group begins to experience a lot of uh, pressure and persecution, both from government and other churches and, and church institutions. In some places it's mild, it's not too bad. In some places it's horrific. Torture, death, execution, all kind of stuff. So it's, it's kind of the, the whole spectrum on that. So from the very onset, there, there's kind of been a bad experience with, mm, not sure the right word, like government or authority or that kind of thing. Because in those early days, persecution happened right off the bat from people in charge, whoever, whoever that would be. Um, time passes, the, these groups of people that have similar thought, they, they kind of group up, they, they live together, sometimes they're, they're living in, in colonies. Um, more time passes, um, the general attitude kind of towards government seems to be like, you were mean to us, just leave us alone. Um, they live together, they, had a, they marry, they have kids, they have grandkids, they have great-grandkids. And this group that started off as believing together has now lived together so long that they've really created their own people group. Hence, the Mennonite people group. Uh, in the early days of the Mennonite Brethren denomination, um, so that was formed 1860, uh, the church mainly consists of, of Mennonite people group, uh, as I explained, but other groups have entered in. Um, and then also, right, like just this view of nonviolence, uh, pacifism. So during wartime, uh, some people moved to Canada, some people served in non-combative roles. I know we have a number of people on our uh, membership lists to, uh, who have served in non-combative um, roles in the past, which is uh, fantastic. Um, and so there's, and there's, but as time has passed, there's kind of the, the whole spectrum of belief on, on government, right? And so some would say, you know, I don't mind government and I appreciate government and, and it's okay. And then some places like it's just government is, is evil and, and leave us alone. And then you kind of have everything in between. For me, kind of a classic example of this uh, or kind of an e or an accessible example of um, kind of what I've experienced. And um, perhaps it, it's been kind of, maybe I should preface it also by saying this. In my time here, I almost feel like the issue of government hasn't come up a whole lot. Um, but, you know, when I was in college, when I was at university, working with uh, missions and international missions, like it just came up a lot more. So a lot of these reflections are really, or kind of my experience was really kind of formed prior to coming here, because at least for me, my experience is it hasn't come up a whole lot since being here. So anyways, um, 2016, Trump is recently elected president. Uh, there is an MB missionary. He's serving overseas. Uh, he's not an American. As near as I know, he's never lived in America. He lives in Asia. So all that to say, like his source of quality American news, probably not so good. So he posts something on Facebook and you know, it's kind of the classic, like, how horrible it is that Trump was elected president, and it's just, it's atrocious that just any evangelical supported him in any way or capacity or that kind of thing. So I'm trying to figure out where he's coming from. Uh, so I, I responded, and I asked him some questions. And in one of those, uh, one of the questions was, do you believe that God created government? Because that's actually a pretty pivotal point. Uh, on this whole discussion on do you believe that God created government? Um, and he, he wrote this. This was kind of interesting. Uh, he said, my starting point for any ideas of government is Revelation eleven fifteen. The seventh angel uh, sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven. 
which said the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of the Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. So his starting point for government is that one day earthly government will be replaced by God when, when Jesus comes back again. Um, and, and then that the earthly government really won't exist anymore um, because, you know, it'll be the new kingdom and Jesus will be here and it'll be great and it'll be fantastic. So, which is kind of interesting, but upon much reflection and working through my own beliefs, um, here's, here's the thing, though, on starting with, with Revelation 11.15, is that that refers to a future time when earthly government is dissolved and, and it's replaced by God ruling everything, which will be awesome, right? I'm all for that. But at that point in time, you also have to remember that marriages won't exist either. Because God, God talks about there's no marriages in, in heaven. No one will be, be, be given or like there, there won't be any marriages. And so if you're going to play by those rules, you almost have to say, well, then, if that's our starting point for government, then that also has to be our starting point for marriage. And so, like, meh, marriage, not really a thing. Do whatever you want. Not really relevant. You know, it's just, it's, it's no big deal. So Revelation 11.15 is true. But it is a future truth. And it's not fully applicable yet. Until that time, we, we live in a, in a different reality. He shared some good thoughts um, that, and um, throughout the, the rest of the post. One thing that, that kind of made me, made me nervous, and just kind of as a, as a warning for you guys is to, uh, in there at one point he, rose, he wrote, um, Jesus set a trajectory. And just kind of a heads up, always put your antenna up whenever someone says trajectory. Uh, there's something called trajectory hermeneutics that means, and the viewpoint is that, well, the authors of the New Testament, typically they're referring to Paul. I've never seen anyone apply it to Jesus. Well, they, they hinted at stuff, or, or they started the discussion, but we now understand 2,000 years later in our really spiritually enlightened state of mind what they were really trying to say, because they just didn't have the boldness or the freedom to come right out and say, like, what they really needed to say. Which, I mean, that should just sound off warning bells left and right, because it discredits Scripture, and then it puts us in, like, a spiritual authority superior position, which is laughable. And so, anyway, so it just be cautious with, with the word trajectory. Um, and he, he actually did share some good thoughts after that. Also interesting, then, another guy hops on, um, and another uh, kind of significant influencer uh, in Canadian MB Conference. And he wrote this. This was interesting. He goes, I would add this comment to the points made from Romans 13. So that's today's passage. Paul states government is instituted by God. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Uh, when Paul states government is instituted by God, he is exercising a communication tool called hidden transcript. It's been used by oppressed people for thousands of years as a way to comment about the dominant powers. In this case, the transcripts intend to signal that Caesar is not the supreme power. He says he is. He is observant to God. Okay. The, right. Um, Caesar is subservient to God. Yeah. Like, yeah. You nailed that one. Of course he is. I think we would all say he is. I feel like that's not really a debatable issue. But again, the, the idea of like hidden transcript. And I tried to do some like academic research. I was like, 
Is that a thing, hidden transcript? Like, are we suddenly looking for codes in the Bible where there's, like, secret meanings and that kind of stuff? And in, in my time in trying to figure it out, I couldn't find anything that, that really kind of academically validated the idea of hidden transcript and, and you, you got to decode it and uh, uh, that kind of thing. So, again, just kind of a, a heads up. And whenever someone throws you out an idea like trajectory, hermeneutics, or hidden transcripts, but then the application is, you know, well, the, the, the Bible says this, but if you understand the code, it really means this other thing that's opposite of what you thought it meant. Like, that should just sound off warning bells just left and right. Anyways, there, there's something to be said for understanding at a deeper level, but there's also something to be said for secret code with opposite meaning than, than, what, than what it intended. So anyways, hidden transcripts, no good. Um, in the conversation, there was, there was a lot that expressed that I would absolutely agree with, and, and there were some really great um, I, ideas. But yet, at the same time, you, you kind of catch up kind of almost this dismissive attitude towards government, where it's like, man, necessary evil, no thank you, I'll pass. We're just kind of putting up with this and just going to try to avoid it as, as much as, as possible. Romans 13. Let's actually look at some scripture here. Uh, and work to unpack this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Again, let me say this. Sometimes we'll see scriptures, right? So we look at this, and then we look at Acts 5, 9, where they say, we must obey God rather than men. If there appears to be a contradiction between two verses, the fault is not with Scripture. Like, we don't just get to delete the one that we find annoying. If we look at two verses and we say, I don't see how they fit, the fault is with me, and I have not discovered verses 3 and 4 that help draw them under, together and give me the big picture on how everything fits. If two verses don't fit, the fault is always in my understanding. It's not in Scripture. As Mennonite brethren, we believe that God created three institutions. We believe that God created family. We see that in Genesis 2. We believe that God created the church. We see that in Acts 2. And we also believe that God created government. And that is, that's straight out of the, the confession of faith. We believe that, that you know, government was, is an institution created by God. Some would reference Genesis 9. Um, some would reference uh, this passage, Romans 13. All are unique and all have a different role in our life. They don't, um, like, they kind of intermingle, like, they don't overlap, but, but they, they, they sort of do overlap, right? Um, I mean, family and church overlap, because you're bringing your family to church, and we're telling you, hey, be good family people, you know? So, so there's some overlap, and family and government overlap, because I pay taxes, and the public school's teaching my kid, and what are they teaching my kid? And, you know, so there is kind of an, an intermingling. We, we vote for government. Who am I voting for? Um, a church and state, we have tax status, you know, with, 
with the government. And, you know, and so they're an influence in our lives. And, uh, you know, what's going on in Canada and that kind of thing. Within these three institutions, God created authority structures. Uh, so in church, Scripture tells us that, you know, elders and pastors are, are supposed to provide leadership for the church. Uh, within government, we see that rulers are, are to provide leadership in government. Uh, within family, Scripture tells us that husbands are to provide leadership to their wives and to their family, and that also husbands and wives are to provide leadership to the children. Now, Scripture also speaks kind of on the other half as well, too. Um, scripture tells congregations to honor elders and, and pastors and to follow their lead. Uh, in family, um, wives are to submit to husbands, children are to submit to both parents, and also citizens are to submit to the ruler's authority. So we have clear lines of authority in each of these three institutions. Now, all this is going to come together here, so hang with me. Also, part of what makes the, the government discussion kind of complicated or difficult is that there are so many kinds of government in existence, right? When Paul wrote this, um, you know, he wrote it to, to the Romans, like Rome and, and I think he, Israel still at the same time, like they were just under absolutely, totally wicked, totalitarian rule, narcissist, all-powerful, just kill people on a whim, Thing. Like, it was, it was bad, right? Um, but we are blessed to live in a republic, at least for the time being. Hopefully that, that hangs on. Um, but so we have different options available to us that they simply didn't have, right? We get to vote. They didn't get to vote. We get to vote. So that's part of how we interact with government. We have freedom to debate ideas and, and how things should move forward. Not all Christians have that freedom, and so they're political involvement just looks different, right? Um, so Paul gives us some great concepts, but how we live those out does vary a lot uh, simply on what kind of government we're, we're currently existing under, under. So one of the classic questions that always comes up in this then is what do you do with bad government, right? Like what do you do when, when leadership is bad, when it's corrupt, when, it, when it's wicked, when it's passing laws that, that we don't believe are, are biblical or that, that we don't agree with. And it seems like, at first it seems like, well, we don't have a lot of verses exclusive to how to deal with bad government. So sometimes it feels limited, right? To unpack this, though, I think it's helpful to, to zoom the lens out and to remember God created three institutions. And in each of those institutions, you can have bad leadership, right? It could be a bad political ruler. It could be a bad husband, a bad father. Uh, it could be bad parents. Uh, it could be a bad pastor or, or a bad elder, right? So if we can figure out a framework, um, kind of for all those, there is a certain amount of overlap be between all of them. Watchman Nee was a a Christian pastor in communist China, um, wrote some great books. One of them that he wrote is called Spiritual Authority. What's interesting is that the entire first half of the book, like you would think spiritual authority, you know, you're like, oh, how do you, whatever, cast out demons or be this great Christian or that kind of thing. The entire first half of the book is how to submit to authority and particularly how to submit to bad authority. It's fascinating what, what he has to say. And this guy knows it because he lived it because he was in 
communist China for several decades, like beaten and tortured, all just different kinds of stuff, right? So uh, he's he's really worked, worked through it. Fascinating ideas. He pulls heavily from the relationship between David and Saul, particularly when Saul was out trying to kill David, and yet David continued... Um, I mean, he, he avoided Saul, and yet at the same time had a respect or an appreciation for the office that, that Saul held. At times, we are able and blessed to be able to honor and obey the authority that we're under, whether it's in the family, whether it's in the church, whether it's in the government. However, there are other times when leadership is bad, and or leading us to sin or whatever and so we can still honor but we do not have to obey bad leadership whether it be the family whether it be church or whether it be government uh, oftentimes when the paul when the apostles were arrested and they were commanded not to preach if you look closely you will see that they were they are still respectful towards authority but they are firm in their stance that they must obey God rather than man. And so, just that whole kind of, um, I mean, maybe you could describe it as submissive attitude, but really it is an, an honoring of kind of that, that office or that position while still staying firm, we obey God, not man. Um, Acts 5.29, Peter and the apostles, we must obey God rather than man. So, you know... Um, uh, so in, in these three institutions, right? Are the parents strict, kind of like annoyingly strict, or are they unbiblically oppressive in some way? Okay? Is your husband really annoying or stubborn or something, or does he actually lead you into sin? Um, is, is the pastor or the elder kind of the same thing, boring or annoying or that kind of thing, or do they promote false teaching? Right? Do, do the government leaders have really annoying personalities? Or are they passing laws that are contrary to God's word? Right? Uh, several years ago, Trek, we, we sent a team to Germany. Um, the, there, the, the German youth are, are doing a worship night. Um, they're really enjoying it. And the Trekkers are engaged. And, you know, they gave it they, their thumbs up. And, and it was really neat. Uh, but after a while, the local church leadership intervenes. And I forget their terminology, but basically they said, look, the music's too contemporary for us. We don't like it. We want you to shut it down. Okay, what do you do on that? And we were, you know, they emailed us back and we were wrestling with it because, you know, we would say that they're worshiping and that's a good thing. But then you have local church leadership saying, we don't really like the style, at least in in the email to us, they didn't cite any theological concerns or or false teaching. It was more a musical style. They didn't appreciate the musical style. And so they wanted the worship to end. Like, how do you, how do you balance that? Um, ultimately, in the end, we advised them to go ahead and submit to the local church leadership. We felt that that, that was the most honoring uh, to the leadership. But ultimately, too, we felt that those local church leaders would eventually have to answer to God for what they had done. And there's always more to the story, and there's always a second side to the story. But ultimately, they're going to have to answer to God for shutting down this, this worship event and whether or not that was a Christ-honoring thing things to do. For, for those that, that, that really understand leadership, the, their leadership is terrifying. 
Because whether it is in the church or whether it is in the family or whether it is in government, we see time and again that there is a harsher, stricter judgment because you lead. Like there is a higher expectation and, and there may be greater rewards, but there are also greater consequences. And, and it's good to just know that and just let that scare you uh, a little bit. Um, I have never understood Romans 13 to mean that all rulers are, are God's will. Um, or that all their decisions are, are God's will. I mean, we, we can see that simply that, that they're not. What I read in Romans 13 is that because of the office that they hold, they have a responsibility for which they will be held accountable. There is a higher expectation for which they will receive either, you know, increased rewards or greater consequences for whether or not they led in a way that was, that was Christ-honoring. And again, I would say this is true for all three institutions, family, church, government. For instance, talking about kind of increased uh, consequences within the realm of family. Matthew 18, 5. This is Jesus talking. Whoever receives one such child uh, in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. So for the adults, for the parents, for for the teachers, if you cause your child to sin, God's wrath is coming for you, and it's going to be so horrible, you'll wish someone had simply drowned you in the depths of the sea instead. Like, it's, like, that would be a far better, better option. Pastors and elders, James 3.1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my dear brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. If you want to preach, that's great. I will gladly mentor you through that process. Um, but no, there's an expectation where if you screw up, like, it's bad. And so that should just terrify you. It does me. Um, government, um, the, the examples are, are a little bit kind of clean and tidy, but we do see... Um, uh, in the Old Testament, Moses hit a rock with his staff. He was supposed to talk to it. Instead, he hit it with a stick. And for that, he was not allowed to go in the promised land. That's kind of, that's kind of big when he, when he hit it with a stick, you know. Um, David once took a census of the people, which he was not supposed to do. And for that, thousands, I think literally tens of thousands of people died in a plague. Right? The consequences are always higher in leadership whether it be family, whether it be church, whether it be government. Paul gives us in Romans 13, Paul unpacks three reasons why we should submit, submit to government. Um, one of the first ones that he mentioned is for conscious sake. So moving on, we looked at Romans uh, or 13, 1 to 4, starting in verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all uh, what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. 
in a proper functioning government, in, in a healthy government, government leaders have the authority to punish wrongdoers. Okay? If you behave, then, then you have no need to fear. And I would say for the most part, we live in, in a proper functioning government. Um, compared to some of the countries I've been to and, and what they operate under, um, we're doing pretty good, right? Like, I mean, we, we're, things are good for us. Band of Brothers, a TV miniseries came out several years ago. Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg produced it, and it follows Bravo Company through World War II. It's this 10-part series, really great series. Um, one of the things that, that happens in, in the plot line um, uh, is, so in the beginning you have this drill instructor, uh, and I forget his name, but it's played by the guy off of Friends. And, um, but anyway, so he's just this absolutely horrible drill instructor, very mean, bad character, that kind of thing. So that's just one character. You have this other character whose name is Winters. Uh, that's his name, Winters. A great leader, moves up through the ranks. Men really love him, all that kind of stuff. Eventually, so he started off below the drill sergeant, but he progresses through the ranks so that he eventually overranks um, um, this drill sergeant. So later on in the war, they meet each other, okay? Like their, their paths cross. And, and the drill sergeant pretends not to see Winters so that he doesn't have to salute. But Winters sees him, calls him out, and he says this. He says, we salute the rank, not the man. And that one line out of that miniseries movie has helped me so much in, in dealing with leadership that I don't like. Right? I will choose to respect based on the office, based on the rank, based on the authority, based on the role, even if I don't like the person. Right? I, um, you know, I, it's, uh, an easy example is president, right? Presidents come and go, and some we like, and some we don't. I will respect the office of president, even if I don't like the, the person who's in that role or the decisions that they are making, but I still respect the office of president. So when Paul tells us to give honor and respect to those in authority, I simply say, I simply remind myself, we salute the rank, not the man. Second reason that Paul gives us moving on, starting in verse 8, is simply out of our love, love for one another. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the, uh, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. It's possible that, that Paul is, is really kind of trying to, uh, at this point, expand the, the discussion really to, um, to all neighbors and just other members of society, not just government officials. But he pulls from the example of the Ten Commandments. He cites some of the, the Ten Commandments. And then he just sums up, as Jesus did, to just say, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? When we love our neighbor, God-fearing laws are not a problem for us. Like, they're just not, right? When people love their neighbor, they don't murder, they don't lie, they don't cheat, they, they don't steal from their neighbor, right? Like, love just takes care of those things. So in, in a healthy, God-honoring government, if you love your neighbor, like, you're going to be fine. Third reason is love and obedience to Jesus, uh, starting in verse 11. 
Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the, the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Ultimately, our attitude towards government leaders and society around us stems from our devotion to, to Jesus Christ, our commitment to him and our willingness to live the lives that he expects of us. So we put on Christ, which is just to say that he is Lord of our daily life. We make no provision for the flesh, which is saying we don't, we don't sin, we don't, we don't follow our, our natural desires. And we live sober, clean, spiritual, good, clean lives because we are children of the light, not children of the darkness. Again, uh, just kind of going back to, to my current understanding of government. The government is an institution created by God whose purpose it is to recognize and honor God-given rights or the rights that God gives people and to create a safe, peaceful, orderly environment so that the church and the family can do their work of expanding the kingdom of God with freedom and with as little inhibition as, as possible. Uh, another offer, David Burnett had some, some helpful thoughts on how to respond to political leaders, and I pulled from that and expanded from it a little bit. First of all, look to God's hand behind your political leaders. Obviously, um, God uses good leaders for his purpose, but we also see that sometimes God has used bad leaders for his purpose. Not always, but we do see lots of examples in the Old Testament of that. Um, just a few weeks ago, we were talking about how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Things were tough for the Israelites for a while, but God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that God's glory could be displayed and their entire exodus could be unquestionably an act of God and not just Pharaoh being a nice person. God had to be, Pharaoh had to be hardened. There were some rough times for a while, but the end result was God was behind all of this. Psalm thirty-three, twelve: Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Secondly, under healthy conditions, submit to your political leaders. Uh, if we believe that, that God is involved in, in who is leading, it's God honoring to submit to that leadership. Uh, obeying laws is not a suggestion. It, it, is, a, it is a command. We, we've talked about that. And so we obey laws for the sake of conscience, out of love for neighbor, and out of devotion to Jesus Christ. But third, if necessary, disobey political leaders, or leaders in any of the three institutions. When political leaders, or any leaders, call us to do something contrary to God's word, we disobey. We're respectful about it, maybe even polite, maybe throwing a please and a thank you on that one. But we still disobey. The call to obey leadership is not absolute. The call to obey God and his word and his teaching is absolute. Uh, Acts 5.29, 
But Peter and the apostles said we must obey God rather than men. Fourth, pray for your leaders. Pray for them. Um, you, like, let's just be honest, you don't have access to most of the political leaders in your lives. But your prayers do. Through prayer, you can access every single political leader in your life. So using the tool of prayer, get into their life, get into their schedule, get into their work, get in their circumstances through prayer, and pray for them. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that, or so that, we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way. And that's part of where I pull this idea where the one of the purposes of political government is to create a safe, uh, freedom-rich environment for the family and the church to fulfill their God-given mandate. Fifth, um, reasonable expectations from government and, and political leaders. I would say that there are some wonderful political leaders that I really respect, I really appreciate, I think they're fantastic. I'm very grateful for them. I'm grateful that they're in those positions. I don't want their job ever, ever, ever. Uh, I'm thankful that, that they're in them. But politics, like, it doesn't create the inner peace. Politics doesn't create the inner joy. Politics doesn't create the, the inner happiness, right? Um, they can work to create an environment where, where it, it can develop, but, but, it, but they don't create that themselves, right? Uh, as I said, the ultimate role of government, in my opinion, is to create that safe, peaceful environment so that the family and the church can do their work without hindrance. Jeremiah 29.7 But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. So the Israelites have been shipped off into exile. Things are looking pretty bleak. And God says, seek the welfare of that city. Rather than bitterness, rather than hatred, rather than resentment, seek the welfare of that city and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So God created three institutions. Family, church, government. Each one's unique. They kind of overlap. Um, in each one, God articulates authority structures. Those in authority or those in the office of leadership have certain expectations from God and the proper fulfillment of that office or, or in that role. And pray for your leaders because through prayer, you can literally affect any leader in the world. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word and for its truth and, Lord, how you guide and instruct us in our daily lives. Lord, we want to pray for our government leaders at the local level, the state level, the national level. God, we pray that they would make decisions that honor you that are in alignment with your word. We pray for their personal lives, Lord, that they would have Christian influence in their lives. We pray for those that don't know you, that they would come to a saving knowledge of your grace 
and of your salvation and that they would ultimately surrender their lives to you. For those leaders that do know you, we pray for their continued strength uh, and encouragement and that they would continue to be nurtured by your word and by Christian fellowship. Lord, we pray for us as a church and for the families within this church, Lord, that we would fulfill our responsibility making your name known and seeing your kingdom expand. Lord, thank you for this day. And Lord, we recognize that in, we have many freedoms and many gifts currently, and we don't ever want to take those for granted. And we take um, full advantage of all those opportunities. Thank you for this morning. We love you and we worship you. In your name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.